Yippee-ki-yay, movie fans! Welcome back to Film Frontier. We're gonna talk to you today about another Western. I'm Felicity, and this is Clarence with me. Uh, this week we're talking about The Sisters Brothers, which is playing in theaters now. It's nice to have a Western playing in the theater, so we... Uh... Made it out, made our way out to the cinema, and uh, saw this one. What uh, what, did, what were your expectations going in on this one? Well, I actually didn't know a whole lot about it going in, other than it was starring Joaquin Phoenix and John C. Riley as some sort of cowboy brothers. I did not even realize there were other people in the cast that are in the cast. Didn't right. know what the plot was at all. So it was kind of a, a totally fresh look for me. Oh, that's nice. Whereas you had read the book. I had read the book, on. yeah. It came out in 2011 by... Uh, Patrick DeWitt. My memory of the book was a little sketchy. I remember the basic overall plot, but a lot of the details I did not remember. And I wasn't even sure after seeing the movie if they were uh, accurate to the book or not. So, But I did enjoy the book reading it at the time. And I actually, after we watched it, I read probably a good half of the book. Didn't get to finish the rest, but I, I will. I promise, Patrick, if you're listening. So we can talk a little bit more about the book, me having read it more recently than you, and right. you trying to see if you can draw back any memories of it. <laughs> um, and this this film was um, produced by John C. Riley. He optioned the book. And we'll get to that later, right. more about the process of how that, that happened, because uh, I think it's kind of interesting to see you know how it kind of got on its feet from book to now our released film. So this film, uh, based on the book, it's about Charlie and Eli's sisters who are uh, professional uh, gunmen for this mysterious wealthy businessman called the Commodore in Portland, Oregon. They are sent to track down a man called Herman Kermit Warm, who, for reasons we're not told initially, uh, may have stolen something from the Commodore. They have sent a, the Commodore sent a scout ahead, uh, John Morris, played by Jake Gyllenhaal. Um, Gyllenhaal is supposed to find this warm and hold him for the Sisters Brothers, who will apply their special skills to find out what they need to find out. We're the Sisters Brothers. S-I-S-T-E-R-S. Like sisters. We're looking for a man named Warm. He stole something from our employer. We have enough money to stop for good. Stop what? Killing people. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, it turns out that Warm has developed a chemical formula that will reveal gold in river water, which would be, of course, a very valuable commodity. Uh, Morse eventually befriends Warm, and the two become partners. Uh, they plan to uh, find the gold and establish a uh, utopia society in Dallas, of all places. Can you imagine a utopian society no in way. Dallas? <laughs> your, your home country? That's right, my home uh, hometown. Um, inevitably, the brothers catch up with them. After helping them out of a tight spot with some other uh, gunmen, they decide to team up with them and test the process and split the gold and quit the Commodore. Warm's formula works like gangbusters, but there is a side effect that causes burns to the skin. And after Charlie becomes overly greedy... Another side effect. Yes. Of, <laughs> <laughs> of finding gold uh, right at your feet in the river. It causes... It, it results in the death of uh, Warm and Morris. And so the brothers uh, decide to head back with a new look on life to face the Commodore and head home. Gentlemen, I have found him. I will try to hold him until your arrival. Make haste. What does this warm have that's so interesting? What's the great challenge that all prospectors face? How do I get the gold just beneath my feet? I told you I'm a chemist. Warm has a formula. You pour it in the river, it lights up all the gold. Have you ever tested it? 
think it's them? Yes. We're going to have to fight. Is your gun loaded? Eventually, you're going to get us killed. You're forgetting something. We are the sisters, brothers. We're good at what we do. Charlie! Get away! I don't know if you recall, but I, I think the book was kind of cin- cinematic already. Would you say so? Yeah, it felt like a film. It's It's got like short chapters, not a lot of description. Um, I think even a lot of the dialogue was taken directly from the book that ended yeah. up in the movie, which is interesting to see. I feel like that doesn't normally happen with adaptations like this. Right, and the dialogue's very humorous, um, very quirky. The book reminded me a little bit of a kind of a cross between... Larry McMurtry on his more humorous, quirky side, and and the violence of Cormac McCarthy kind of pushed. Yeah, I can see the the violence of McCarthy. I haven't read a lot of McMurtry, but I think you see that violence in the film. I remember thinking when we saw it, like that the the gunshots really packed a punch. Yes. In the, in the audio of it, you know. Not to mention some of the gorier things you see, and some of the. The physical violence that the characters display, right? But actually, just the sound of the gunshots. Yes, is... they they are forceful and uh, there's a definite impact to them for sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think you can see that in the opening scene of the film. It opens on kind of a dark country, and on in a very wide shot, and on each side is little sparks and gunfire. Yes, we see I, muzzle flashes of yeah. gunfire from a distance. And, and, and it's just that back and forth for an ex- a minute. Yeah, in a long shot with yelling and, and screaming and yeah. Hey! This is the sisters, brothers! You don't stand a chance! Yeah. It's a great it's a great way to open the film. And, I thought it was really engaging and, yeah. and plays along with the theme of this is how the West was. It was very violent, but it was happening everywhere. Um, it's it kind of removes you from it because of the physical distance of the the camera to the action. Um, you're not getting these close ups of the actors. You know, you're not getting close ups of the guns even. But yeah. You know what's happening. Right. And then you get introduced to the characters. Yes, yeah. And it's interesting in that first scene, um, you sort of get a, an idea of the brothers and their differing personalities. And when the barn is on fire and Eli wants to run in and save the horses that are in there and, and Charlie could care less, you know? Yeah, and that actually goes right along with a, a quote I wanted to read from oh. the book that I thought was a great line. So the book mm. is narrated by Eli, who yes. is the John C. Riley character right. in the movie. And he says at one point, it occurred to me that I had crossed the threshold for a horse I did not want, but Charlie had not done the same for his own flesh and blood. A life of ups and downs, I thought. <laughs> <laughs> and that encapsulates their relationship, yeah. that encapsulates the difference between them, like you were saying, that Eli is the one that cares about the horses and Charlie is much more about himself. Right. And then that line even also captures the humor of the book and of yes. the film <clears throat> of... That's that's what life is like, ups and downs. <laughs> that's a great line, yeah. yeah. So the book, written by Patrick DeWitt, was actually uh, inspired by a Time Life book he found at a yard sale about the California gold rush. Oh, really? Which goes to show you inspiration comes in many places, <laughs> in many places. I had that Time Life uh, oh, yeah? West collection, yeah. So where's your best-selling I novel? don't know. I got to get to work, I guess. Yeah. Uh, it ended up being shortlisted for the Man Booker Prize in 2011, mm. uh, along with winning a number of other major awards. The original title, did you know this? No. The Warm Job, (laughs) 
based on the character played by Riz Ahmed, right. uh, Herman Kermit Warm, right. which is a, also a great character yes. name. Uh, weirdly, the publisher thought it made it sound too sexual. Hmm. Don't I, know where I you got why. that idea. Yeah. A warm job. I think I prefer the Sisters Brothers. Yeah, me too. It's, it's a catchy title. It is. It is. And they say it many times in the movies. Yes. We're the Sisters Brothers. We're good at what we do. Um, you want to talk uh, a little bit about how the production started now, like how the director was chosen and, and the producing of the film and everything? Yeah, I think the the process of that actually shows how long a journey it is to make any movie, much much less this one. It was actually sort of came up with the idea to make it into a movie before the book was even published. Hmm. Uh, because DeWitt wrote the screenplay for the movie Terry in 2011, uh, also starring John C. Riley, oh. which was produced by his wife, Alison Dickey. As a result of working on that film together, she'd gotten a, a copy of the manuscript of the Sisters Brothers from, from DeWitt before it was published. Wow. And she brought it to John C. Riley, saying, hey, you got to read this. We've got to make this movie. There's a great part for you. Um, <laughs> Uh, and at the end of making the film, Terry, she asks DeWitt for the rights, the film rights, and uh, and they optioned it. The journey started there. And then they needed to find a director. Right. So it was also Alison Dickey's idea to approach the director, Jacques Audiard, for the film, because she was a fan of his work. He'd done stuff at uh, French films like Rust and Bone and A Prophet. And his first directing credit was a... Jean-Louis Trintillon, <laughs> as you like to say, road movie called See How They Fall. When they approached him, they said they wanted to find someone who would make this Western a personal film uh, that wouldn't just be a hired gun. Uh, so they gave it to him saying, do whatever you want with it. We'll just get out of your way and help you do whatever you need help doing. And they also wanted just like an outsider to look at the Western from a distance and see the reality of the situation and not just pigeonhole the characters into some John Wayne-like people, as mm. they said. Mm. And at the time, they didn't even know if they if he spoke English, which he does. They That's ended helpful. up having a, a translator on set to sure. get some of the more subtle things. Sure. But, but he took it on despite not being a fan of the Western. He uh, he said he, he wanted to tell a tale outside the Western tradition. He said, I think it's that it's the forthright and uncompromising virility of the heroes of classic Westerns that kept me at a distance from the genre. My taste runs to those that came later, ones that I saw coming of age in the 1970s. The Missouri Breaks, Little Big Man, Jeremiah Johnson, etc. The movie that was most on our mind during the screenwriting process isn't a western, but rather a dark fairy tale, The Night of the Hunter. Hmm. Interesting. Um, so if you look at it through that light, that they weren't even setting out to make a Western, that they were going at it at more of this like darkly comedic fairy tale type thing. Riley even pointed out that the sequence in the forest with the spider, mm. which got a huge reaction from our yes. theater, <laughs> it, was, it was kind of a terrifying scene yes. uh, to see right before Halloween, especially. <laughs> uh, Riley pointed out that that was ODR deliberately trying to make the movie feel like some, as he said, some kind of fucked up fairy tale. Huh. And I think it's interesting in comparison to the book that the in the book the spider bite is just on his foot, whereas in the movie Riley's character swallows the spider right. and it like his bites him on the inside up. and yeah. his face swells. <clears throat> um, and also in the book they take him to a doctor kind of right away and he gives they give him anti venom, um, and so the film makes it this more shocking moment and keeps it contained to our two main characters to the brothers. Mm. And so I think that's an interesting difference between the book and the movie, where you see the fairy tale elements kind of elevated. Yeah, I, I I didn't remember the spider bite being in his mouth like that, which I 
It would make sense now because that's a very memorable thing. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty horrific. Yeah, it's pretty awful. Although I, I did think it was weird that if they were trying to make a fairy tale in the book, right after the spider bite, they end up going to what the brothers call a witch's cabin, mm. which seems very fairy tale-like yes. to me. But it's not in the movie but at all. But it's not in the movie at all. Yeah. Um, to go back to how ODR looks at the Western genre, he said the Western for an American director is really a foundational text. For me, no, it isn't. The Western is just a period piece for me. Men wearing hats, guns, riding horses. In that sense, my approach is different. Within the mythology, there's a landscape of space. I don't share that mythology, so I don't focus on the literal landscape. I pay more attention to dialogue between characters. For me, the dialogue and the characters are the landscape. Hmm, interesting. Yeah, what do you make of that? Well, I don't know. I I actually thought there was some nice landscape usage in this film. Hmm. Like he did kind of focus on the beauty of the the mountains and yeah. and, and this was shot in Europe, um, like a like a spaghetti western. Um, but I guess the European sensibility is always a little different. Um, European directors coming at the the western. I yeah, mean, you know the spaghetti western. It just brought it down to violence and cynicism and, and, and didn't really deal with, like, you know, taming of the land or anything like that. And I think Riley has said he likes working in that European way, which is very different from the Americans, from what I hear. And you kind of see a glimpse of how, how they're different and how many producers are listed on this yes. movie. <laughs> Honestly, that got the biggest laugh in our cinema. Mm-hmm. There's just, like, a, a title card listing every single producer production company financier and it just goes on for ages <laughs> just like it sort of like builds a ladder from the bottom of the screen to the top like mm-hmm. one production company at a time and there were must have been like 20 of them yeah. or something yeah. yeah it was insane it was like the opening of a jean-luc godard film where he reveals all the credits by oh, you know lighting up certain letters at a time yeah but riley kind of looked at the diversity of that and the europeanness uh of it as a benefit to the movie, he said it was shot in Spain, Romania, and France. That was the whole the whole other thing. Seventy percent of the crew was Spanish for a while, and seventy percent was Romanian. So it was constantly bridging these different worlds and languages. Hmm. It's funny because that's really what the American West was like at this time. It was like the virtual Tower of Babel. There were immigrants from all over the world in the West looking for gold and trying to make their way in America. So Jacques was a good choice for that reason, and he immediately embraced that this idea. In the, of the American West as a melting pot. We like to think it's all white guys in cowboy hats, or the common cliche of the Western. In fact, there were people from all over the world. And he said that you could also avoid a lot of the cultural baggage that way, kind of echoing what ODR was saying about how Americans are kind of so entrenched in, in the Western myth and the Western film. Right. Our idea of the West is based on these other movies, whereas if they brought in a European director to do this, as he said, uh, they would bring with it a more objective observation of the reality of the time, and we could avoid some of the cliches of the Western, because the book does. At a time of complete divisiveness between countries and an us-against-them mentality, we made a movie that involved French people, Spanish people, Romanian people, American people, English people, and we brought them all together and figured out a way to to create something beautiful. That alone, to me, is a big accomplishment. <laughs> I mean, that could be him just spinning right, all of this right. production into his benefit. But I, I'm also kind of convinced by his argument that America today is a huge melting pot. Yeah. And it was then, too. It was True. just a country of immigrants. True. And I think that shows on screen, too. You have some, some diverse casting. Right. You do have a lot of uh, getting to the real history yeah. of the time. And from Odiard's perspective, uh, he said he didn't even want to work in America 
necessarily, hmm. but he did. He had been wanting to work with American or English actors. Interesting. That was a new experience for him and a, a new kind of crossroad he wanted to take in his career. Yeah, and it's not unusual for uh, westerns to not be shot in America, obviously. And uh, like you said, this was shot in Spain and Tabernas and Almeria, which were old spaghetti western locations, like used over and over again. So it was, it was actually nice to see that to, for me. And I think Romania um, was where Cold Mountain was shot, which was a Civil War mm -hmm. era film. And maybe they used some of the same sets and locations. I'm not sure. I think a lot of the Romania stuff was the San Francisco scenes. Oh, okay. Yeah. Correct me if I'm wrong, or you've done more research on this, but this is the first English language Western made by a French director. I believe that is correct. There yeah. have been other French films made, I mean, French Westerns made by a French director. One that comes to mind is Cemetery Without Crosses, which is like a French-Italian co-production. Um, it was a spaghetti western, basically, directed by Robert Hossein, who was a French actor and, and director. Um, but, but because of the nature of those films, they weren't. it wasn't an English-language film. You know, It was meant to be dubbed into dozens of other languages and had a, had a multinational cast. So you know, it wasn't, I don't even know if there was a native English speaker in that film. I'm trying to think if there's any other. There's the French-Western Renegade, which is an adaptation of... Uh, Mobius's Blueberry comic, but it had like I think a director from the Netherlands or something, so we can't count that one. So this very no. very well may be the one. And actually, John C. Riley was in a contemporary western in France in 2015, directed by the co-writer and regular collaborator of Odiard, uh Thomas Bidegain. I, hmm, I, I don't know, probably hmm. butchering that name, but uh, and and he made it because because of working on this film, he got to know. Thomas, oh. and worked on his film Les Cowboys from 2015, oh, okay, yeah. which I believe is an updated version of The Searchers. And I think it speaks to the perspective of the Frenchman approaching the Western in this quote from Odiard. He said, For me, between childhood and adolescence, the movies were a power powerful educator. They informed me about life and the world, women and men. As a teenager, cinema without a doubt helped me to learn about girls. Paul Newman, Marcello Mastroianni... Jean-Louis Trintillon, Jean-Paul Belmondo, and others have my gratitude. But as far back as I can remember, there was no learning about how to talk to girls from watching John Wayne. <laughs> that, yeah, I'd have to agree with that. Yeah. yeah. Wayne was not really a romantic lead, and when he was, it was more uh, Maureen O'Hara over his, his lap when he was spanking her or something. You Which know? is still fine. <laughs> I think guys could take an example from... Maybe. No? Well, no? I don't know. I don't know. I'm going to speak for women and say uh, no. <laughs> Going back to talking about the location of this, um, I was surprised to see an ocean depicted in the film because you don't often see that. No, you that. do not. You do not. You reminded me that I had seen it before in One-Eyed Jacks, One -Eyed Jacks, the yeah. Marlon Brando movie. Yes. Um, but it's kind of refreshing because, in a way, that's as far west as you can get that's is true. the Pacific Ocean as that far is, as America is That concerned. is the far west. Yeah, you don't see... Oregon is not represented a lot in westerns, and I mean California is, but obviously you don't see the ocean uh, yeah. very often. Yeah, it was a nice touch. Yeah, and I think that that is uh, the perspective of the writer Patrick Dewitt, because he's from Vancouver Island and has lived in California and Washington and in the Pacific Northwest. Sure. So, so he knows that area. Yeah. Um, maybe we should talk a little bit about the cast now and the performances. Um, I think I mentioned uh, the sisters brothers. Charlie's played by Joaquin Phoenix. Uh, Eli by John C. Riley. And then our other two main characters, uh, Herman Kermit Warm, played by Riz Ahmed, and John Morris, played by Jake Gyllenhaal. And then we have a couple of cameo roles, uh, a, I think, virtually 
wordless Rutger Hauer as the yeah. Commodore and then Carol Kane uh, as the mother of uh, Charlie and Eli. Yeah. I don't have any explanation for why Rutger Hauer does not have any lines. <laughs> I wish I did. What do you think of Riley? Uh, I thought he was very good. Eli um, felt to me like a character sort of born into the wrong family and, and mm-hmm. just completely wrong point of view, but uh, of the way life had taken him, you know, um, mm-hmm. not not geared to be a killer and trying to, to reconcile that and still be with his brother and help his brother. and, and Kind of bound by family yes. into living this life that yes. is not the one he wants to live. Right. Huh? We've had a good long run. We need to get out. We could open the store together. Store? This is nonsense. Um, I would say he's a little more indicative of like a a future kind of man who wants to get away from the violence, wants to open up a general store, right, right, and settle down, have a family, and he wants Charlie to to go with him and 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 walk away from the Commodore mm-hmm. and, and the violence of their life. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Dewitt said that that Riley perfectly matched what he pictured Eli mm-hmm. as, so I think that's a testament to. To Riley's abilities in, yeah. as both a producer casting the part as well as an actor. <laughs> Absolutely. How about Joaquin? What were your thoughts on his uh, performance? Joaquin? I mean, I, very engaging, as as he always is in films. I'm a fan of, of his work. He just looks so devilish, and I, I think he played well with Riley. I think they're a good counterpoint for each mm-hmm. other. I agree. I agree. They... they played well as brothers to me they they mm-hmm. had an they had a very brotherly relationship i thought that that seemed realistic to me and they do a good job of that in the writing and direction as well you get little moments of of brotherliness that you sometimes don't get to see in, in films True. that really paint a full picture of how they're brothers like there's a moment early on when they're uh, sleeping out in the woods somewhere and uh, uh, Charlie is kind of whimpering you know in his sleeping bag or whatever, whatever right. it is and and Eli goes over to check on him and then Charlie reveals that he's he's pranking him yeah. and <clears throat> he would never do that but then they follow up on it and I was delighted that they followed up on it and that later near the end of the movie Charlie is whimpering again, and it's it's real this it's real time. time. Yeah, and and Eli recognizes that and doesn't go and check on him. I also thought it was interesting in the first scene after he learns that Charlie was just messing with him. Mm-hmm. Um, he's angry at first, but then Charlie is so gleeful and, and, and laughing so much that that Eli actually joins in and laughs as well, mm-hmm. which I thought was very brotherly. Like he just he couldn't help but share the, the humor of it and apparently they they spent a lot of time together in preparation for this as well as during production and once again i think that that shows in the performances yeah. from that that's a big benefit to being an actor you know it really does enrich your life hmm. and he just said it, it was like a really immersive experience wow. to have to spend that much time with your brother yeah and, and especially in that kind of situation in a a foreign land to them kind of getting down and dirty in the wilderness and that's true that's a good point i don't like i think they they had trailers on set but they would you know just be there in the morning and then for the rest of the day they're they're changing their their wardrobe out in the middle of nowhere and kind right. of having to get down in the elements so interesting and i think the movie um allows you time to get to get to know them and see them being brothers and and it's them against the world in, yeah. in the context of the movie and even and, though it starts 
very in the middle of things. Yes. Um, they're just completing a job and are on to the next one. And I've clearly been doing this for a while, yes, I think. Yes, they are old hands at this for sure. But yeah. but when they're on the trail of, of Herman Warm, uh, we, we do spend a lot of time with them just on the trail, on the way, trying to yeah. find them, and which is nice. You get to see their relationship and see how it develops. Getting away from the brothers for a minute, I didn't really understand what their job was for a long time. Mm. Like, it was very... Things weren't revealed to me very quickly, and I liked that. I, mm. It kept me wondering, and it, everything eventually gets answered, which yes, <laughs> I appreciated, yes, obviously. Yeah. But it was just kind of an interesting thing for a someone who, who knew nothing about the film or the book going yeah, into yeah. it to have to figure everything out. Yeah, the movie does definitely, it reveals things as you go. Like, for a long time, you don't know why... Herman Warm is of any interest to the Commodore. He has nothing, and and it's not until you discover his formula, probably halfway through the film, that you know uh, what's what's going on. And speaking of them, I thought uh, Gyllenhaal and and Riz Ahmed both gave excellent performances. I like their characters very much. Uh, what were your thoughts on their? Well, they're another pair that have spent a lot of time together. Exactly. They previously co-starred in the film Nightcrawler together. Right. We cut back and forth between the brothers, and then these two characters uh, back and forth through the movie for a while. Um, I think it's interesting that the description of Warm in the book is that he's bald-headed with a wild red beard, long gangly arms, and the protruded belly of a pregnant woman. <laughs> that does and not if you're descri- picturing Riz Ahmed, that's wrong. That's wrong. <laughs> but it worked in the movie, I yeah. thought. Yeah. yeah. And Gyllenhaal uh, had some sort of uh, aristocratic accent that uh, I think worked for the yeah. film. I liked it. it was... Yeah, I did too. Un- unlike our feelings, I think, about uh, the Doc Holliday character yes, in Tombstone yes. <laughs> as played by Val Kilmer. <laughs> this somehow felt just more in line with what this movie is. It's a little, you know, more elevated and comedic. And yeah. it was kind of an oddball character to begin yes. with. So He's definitely an educated character from the East. A bit of a dandy, uh, mm-hmm. I would say. Yeah. But uh, excellent performance, I think. Yeah. yeah. I think you see his dandiness in how he handles the toothbrush as compared to how John C. Riley yes. does, yes. which the it's kind of a running gag or, or plot point even <laughs> um that john c Riley is or that eli is introduced to the idea of a toothbrush in the film right and is sort of getting used to it throughout and it, it looks very awkward using it but is excited by it <laughs> right it comes with an instruction sheet that he's trying to follow mm-hmm. and later when the men are all together you see uh Jake Gyllenhaal using the toothbrush and he's just very natural and is kind of perturbed that he has to be doing this and doesn't really care what John C. Riley thinks. It's just a nice historical detail. Yes. Um, and, and shows the character and is also embedded in character because it shows him trying to make the jump into being more civilized. Trying to improve himself. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. yeah just, the, uh, the clerk at the store tells him it will keep his breath fresh. Yeah. And he, he likes that idea. And, uh, and true to history, too, because uh, in 1840, toothbrushes were being mass-produced oh. in Europe, uh, even though the first U.S. patent uh, was in 1857, and mass production in the U.S. didn't start till 1885. I think we can believably sure. see that, that they were getting some imports from Europe. And sure, definitely. It was like... sweeping the nation, <laughs> dentistry. In a huge area like San Francisco, yeah. a cosmopolitan. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, and then getting back to the performances, yeah. uh, Carol Kane, who is plays the brother, I mean the mother of the, the brothers, uh, I thought she gave a really nice performance. I, she was the perfect look for yeah. a 
kind of an older mother widow mm-hmm. character living on her own yes. kind of rough looking rough can take care edges. of herself yeah but i never in a million years would have thought to cast her no I definitely don't think. not because no. i think of more her being more like new york i think of Absolutely, her in like yeah. today unbreakable kimmy schmidt where right. she's just <laughs> off the walls bonkers um but here you know just a great dramatic performance yeah, in, works, the, in yeah. a little cameo at the end she's only in the movie for like a few minutes yeah. i think yeah but. and it's the scene in their in their family home they return to her house in their house where they grew up right and it's a just kind of a montage of uh scenes of them doing regular yeah. family things sitting at the dinner table taking a bath but it's all in one take. Yeah. So it's not actually a montage. Yeah. You also have a performance uh, of the character Mayfield, which is this big shot in a town that they go to that um, owns the saloon, owns the hotel, owns everything, who they end up having a, a run-in with. And uh, the Mayfield character is, was originally written as a man, but in the film is portrayed by trans actress uh, Rebecca Root. Oh, interesting. And I thought a, a good performance and like an interesting touch. It was interesting to see the brothers sort of respond but not respond to her. Yeah, and it was different to see... Uh, um... A strong a woman in power, a town. Mm-hmm. She's the town boss, which is not something you see too often in westerns. Yeah. yeah. And then there was also a little cameo by Allison Tolman. Uh, oh yeah, which actually, as, as much of a fan of Allison Tolman as I am, uh, I thought it was an odd scene. I didn't really think it added much. I thought it kind of got in the way of things. Yeah. And it seemed to replace a scene in the book that, I, as I recall, of Charlie interacting with like a hotel, a woman that worked at a hotel. And him, he had a little relationship with her on their way. Um, it seemed to like sort of fill that void that there wasn't in the movie otherwise. It, it started off as a, a funny, interesting scene where Eli is making her role play as this woman he's left back home. And, right. and he's giving her instructions on these detailed things to do with this scarf that he has that, that he's been given. But then it, it just turns into kind of an expositional scene where uh, Allison Tolman is, is warning him about Mayfield. And it's... How does she have this information? And then right. it just sort of ends sadly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it it just seemed out of place to me. Hmm. That's my one quibble with this film. I think <laughs> I don't. Everything else is perfect in my eyes, but uh, wow. Yeah. But along the lines of, of changing things from the novel to the film, uh, I think Patrick Dewitt was on set a little bit uh, for the film, maybe uh-huh. for a week or so. Uh, but his kind of overall impression was. He said he was really pleased that there is a divergence from the story. I think one thing about the film as opposed to the book is that the film is a much more loving recreation of the genre, whereas mine was a charlatan's point of view. Interesting. (laughs) Yeah. Interesting. I mean, it's interesting that that he claims he's a charlatan, having, I assume, done a lot of research and living in the Pacific Northwest as compared to a Frenchman's take on it. And that seems odd that it kind of what he says goes against what Jacques Odiard has said of not really trying to make a loving uh, representation right. of the West yeah. or the Western. Yeah. yeah. And actually when Joaquin Phoenix read the script or read the novel, he didn't even see it as a Western and said he didn't play it at all that way. He was another one that was not raised on Westerns or, or wasn't into Westerns. Right. Um, I, I think I can see that for sure in his performance. Yeah. Um, yeah. Definitely doesn't come across as a typical Westerner in any way, I, I don't think. But is not out of place. No, 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 no. no. My overall impression of what the film and the novel accomplish is that it's it's almost satirizing the Western in my eyes hmm. of, you know, if you break down a, a, a your everyday general Western, it's about, you know, boys with guns settling scores. Right. And that's 
essentially what this film is, but I think it's tearing it apart, you know, at its core by this relationship between the brothers, Mm -hmm. between the more traditional uh, Charlie who's wants power and wants, you know, wants to kill and Eli who wants to stop doing all that and, and settle down. And you see Eli throughout the film trying to convince Charlie of that, of, right. of submitting to him, even though he's always been kind of the lesser of the two in their relationship, which is odd given that he's, he's the older one. Right, right. The older brother. And he, uh, Charlie clearly has kept things from him. He he knows what they're doing the entire time, but does not tell Eli and Charlie has designs on replacing the Commodore. Um, he wants that power, and he sees violence as the way to do that. Yeah. And uh, Eli just wants to walk away. and, and But Charlie's not having any of it until things yeah. change for him later yeah. in the film. What's wrong with you? You remember what happened last night? Yes. And? You remember that you hit me? I hit you? I hit you? Stop pretending. And spare me the I don't remember routine. You hit me in public, Charlie. So as sure as you're looking at me right now, I'm leaving. No, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> All right, what do you want? It's about slapping each other in public. So I slap you, you slap me back, Raven. So go ahead, hit me, hit me. <laughs> Goddamn problem! I slapped you and whacking the head with a shovel. <laughs> you do remember. I think you see definite change in the characters. I think you. Yeah. I think you get a good sense of the characters at the beginning, and then they both, I think, evolve throughout yes. the film. Yeah, for sure. Riley said about it. It's almost like if you look at the four characters of the movie, it's almost like those sketches of the evolution, going from prehistoric to upright man. Warm was the uh, like the upright man who's like I see this is the way to go. This is the new new dawn because as you if you recall he's the one that wants to build the utopia yes, in Dallas. Yes, it's his idea. Yes, yeah. <clears throat> and he's you know a man of science. He's coming up with these new innovations, right. all that. So then there's Morris who's just gotten the nerve to follow him. Then there's Eli who's like, but I'm connected to Charlie. I can't go yet, but maybe we should. Then there's Charlie who's fully ensconced in the old way, like no no. I'm going to be the top murderer. Yes. <laughs> and Charlie is willing to let Eli walk away. He He's okay with them not seeing each other anymore or rarely, uh, at least in the middle part of mm-hmm. the film. He's, you know, he doesn't care about anything but power at that point. And... But I think that's a great way to break down these characters. It is, absolutely. you've got uh, Morris, who's, like you say, a little bit of a dandy, so yes. a little bit more civilized. Educated, refined, but not... Is, is what kind of Eli is aspiring to be, I would yes, say. Yes, yes. Yeah. But he's not as uh, uh, scientific. He doesn't have the the, the ideas mm-hmm. that, that, that Warm has. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I also thought it was interesting the way the four characters come together. To me, you know, excuse me if this is, you know, over overanalyzing, but it, to me it was like two two-handers becomes a four-hander becomes a two-hander. Because it starts out with... The two brothers, you're following them, and they're basically alone. And then you get uh, Morris and Warm coming together, and they're basically alone. You've got these men, each sets of men, each alone in the wilderness, going towards their their goal. Mm-hmm. They come together for the four-hander, 
and then two of them die and you're left with just the brothers right and i thought that was an interesting structure uh, as well as something you don't often see in films i feel like it was you know you don't have this huge cast it's it's just little instances of two people in a yes, scene yes or four people in the scene yes. as, as it yeah fits. that's a good point yeah yeah you want to talk about like the overall tone of the movie it's, it's also a very comedic humorous movie and even though there's all this violence and these characters are, are charlie and eli especially are very unhappy uh there's and there's always a moment of humor or warmth or they can you know was all this bad while all these bad things are happening there's always a moment where they can enjoy themselves for a moment like the scene at the river where they're all enjoying a bottle of whiskey and laughing when eli or charlie is supposed to be on guard duty yeah i i think riley expounds on that in a interesting way he said uh, when people are going through tragedy there's always something that will make you laugh when you're having good times there's often those kind of bittersweet moments that's life i think that's a great quality of the movie definitely yeah. and i would say of the book is it's maybe not gallows humor but it's kind of letting you into these darker moments with these little bits of humor yes and not even <clears throat> the typical humor you'd expect of john c Riley, right who i think right. can be a little broad <clears throat> and a little goofier yes. i think a lot of people have made the joke they they expected will ferrell to be the other sister's yes, brother right you know? it is kind of interesting that a lot of john c Riley's movies are with a partner like yeah, that or yeah. with either walking phoenix or will ferrell <laughs> Maybe he thinks he needs uh, some support. Or he's... or maybe that's just, you know, how he is as more of a character actor. Yeah, that's sort of what I was, yeah, I was thinking. Oh, okay, yeah. 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 He, he's more, I think of him more as a character actor and not, uh, not a leading man necessarily. Yeah. But I think he definitely holds the weight of this movie. Yes. Even though it is a pairing. I think it still reflects how Eli is the narrator of the book. Right. You're still seeing it through Eli's eyes. He's the audience connection to the, to this movie. Mm-hmm. Because Charlie is such a uh, sociopath. And, and Yeah. Yeah. As far as the Western genre as a whole, like what is this uh, movie? How does this movie fit in? What does it say about the Western? What were your thoughts on that? One thing that I was pleased to see was for a modern contemporary Western, or not that it's... I know what you mean. <laughs> Made in 2018. Made in 2018. <laughs> not that it's set in contemporary times. Right. Was that it was not afraid of color, not afraid of that humor that we were yeah. talking about yeah. in the tone. Um, because I think so often these more recent movies are just, you know, feel devoid of any brightness. Yes, yeah. As though, you know, it was like a time of plague and <laughs> downtroddenness, <laughs> which... Uh, a good recent example of that, I know you haven't seen the film, but Hostiles, mm. um, I thought was very just heavy and dark there's a little humor but it is a sort of gallows humor and it's not a not a light film in any sense of the word having not seen it just looking at the poster i feel like the poster is in sepia tone and yes. it's just distraught <laughs> yes. faces and, and christian bale is so dour and his even his mustache droops in a way like he's just mm. depressed and, and yeah yeah well when, this is very very different in tone from that film when i think of my example of what that movie is, I picture another Christian Bale movie, the 310 to Yuma remake. Yeah. Which to me was just a drag. Yes, yeah. Neither of us cared for that no. one. No. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, I'll take the Glenn Ford version. <laughs> me too, for sure. <laughs> but once again, uh, Riley says, uh, says on the topic, I think Westerns are popular for the same reason prison stories are popular, which is the same reason war stories are popular, convent stories are popular. All of the genres are about extreme circumstances, limited options, and characters out on their own or confined within. 
That said, I think this movie is a really original Western, because you know so much about what's going on emotionally with the characters. When you watch a Clint Eastwood movie, and I love all his Westerns, he says, you don't really know what's going on. You're watching his behavior to try to figure out what he feels or what he's thinking. But in the original novel, it's a series of inner monologues from Eli, and you really get this full internal monologue. True. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. So do you think that's kind of a, a turn in how how the Western has evolved in the movies? Do you think it's like the first in a line of emotional Westerns? Hmm. That's a good question. I don't know. I, I wonder if there are any examples of similar type movies that just aren't coming to my head right now. Uh, it could just be a one-off, you know, because so few westerns are made. Who knows if it'll have any lasting impact? Um, it feels like an independent film version yes. of the western, um, an independent, independent European version, yes, even. Yes, yeah, yeah. That happens to star big American right. film stars. Right. Um, yeah, I I don't know how much of an impact it's going to make either. I mean, the theater we saw it in was pretty full. Yeah. And and it, this was late in the run. Right. Um, that said, it's been considered a box office bomb. Yeah. It was, uh, at, at the time of this recording, it had grossed $8.8 million and only $2.7 million domestically hmm. uh, against the $38 million budget. Wow. So yeah. fairly expensive, actually. Yeah. Um, That's not great. It's not great. I don't know where they're going to make that money back. <laughs> that said, it's been critically, you know, yeah. well-received. It, it uh, premiered at the Venice Film Festival, getting a standing ovation and a Best Director Award. And it's been getting good reviews. And it, I think it, I can say it got good reviews from us. Yeah, definitely. I, for I, what that matters. <laughs> I enjoyed this film. And you talking about how it uh, comments on the Western and is breaking it down or whatever. It's also a film I don't think that would... It, it's not like... Traditional Western fans, I think, would appreciate it as well. It's not revisionist. It's not trying to deconstruct the Western, I don't think, or comment on the genre as a whole. I don't know if, if you would agree with yeah, that. Yeah, I agree. I mean, you asked me afterwards, would, like, your parents enjoy right, the film? Right, And I think we both thought maybe. Yeah. <laughs> Possibly. <laughs> I mean, we can follow up later and see it, if your parents watched it, but... The only things I think that might trip them up would be perhaps the violence or some of the more gross qualities. There, yeah, it. there's some like vomiting yeah. and, and that sort of thing. But yeah, I think you're you're right about it's not because it's not too quirky and it's not uh, you know too out there. Yeah. It's, it's not, but it's not a traditional western either. Somewhere. Uh, in the I think middle. my word was offbeat. Yes, definitely. Offbeat is a good way to describe. So it. if you're into the offbeat, <laughs> check it out. It's a good one to see. Yeah. yeah. Um, did you want to comment on uh, wardrobe or anything? Yeah, what about that? What do you think about it? I liked it. I liked it. I thought uh, hats were good, shirts were. Good. You know, it takes place in the eighteen fifties, so you know, Gyllenhaal. I thought uh, looked great. I um, thought there was uh, a great costume on Joaquin at one point where he yeah. almost looks like a a Mexican gunfighter. Right. So he almost looked like one of the Three Amigos. It was pretty great. It was like a black. <laughs> suit with a, a red embroidery yeah. going up the side red and... stripes on the pants and the, the short jacket like mm-hmm. the mexican cut jacket yeah and he... that was like his his fancy does his, his, his going out in san francisco right. <laughs> where and i approved he looked great yeah yeah and the uh for me the horses were a dead giveaway that this was not shot in america because they were clearly like spaghetti western horses andalusians i think is what the breed they are yeah but... i liked uh jake gyllenhaal and riz ahmed's horses there yeah they had nice looking horses. They're yeah. pretty. <laughs> uh, going back to the costumes, though, my take on the costumes was they looked of the time, they looked appropriate, sure, but they looked like a design that could only happen 
now. Like, mm. they looked almost trendy in a way. Yeah. Like, I could see hipsters wearing <laughs> Jake Gyllenhaal's yeah. outfits or whatever. And Yeah, you wouldn't you wouldn't imagine those costumes in a 1950s or 60s Western. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> you can't picture Glenn Ford wearing no, them, no. necessarily. <clears throat> and I think uh, another touch that uh, producer John C. Riley can add to it is he's kind of a hat guy. He's yeah. he's very into the the couture hats on his own in everyday life. So <laughs> I, I think he he made sure the designs were were, were perfect to what he wanted. They so. had good hats, I thought. Yeah, they fit the characters. Mm-hmm. The music score by uh, Alexander Desplat. Oh right, yeah. Um, I wasn't actually that big a fan of it. Um, I'll have another little quibble there. Okay. Um, I it, it sounded. Not like a, a western necessarily. Yeah. Like yeah. when I didn't even really pay attention to it until it was playing during the the credits, and then I, I was just like, "Oh, this sounds French." And then I found out it was by Desplat. Yeah. And I was like, "Oh, yeah, that, that fits." But it's a very gentle score. I, yeah. I, it's not doesn't sound like a traditional western score at all. Um, reminded me of Wes Anderson movies, which because he scores so several of his films. Um, which I guess if you want to call this film quirky, like those sensibilities yeah. match up, but it just it felt a little off to me. It didn't bother me. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I see what you're saying. Well, I guess that's it for this episode, unless you have anything else to add. Uh, just uh, two thumbs way up. Yeah, it was a good film. Yeah. I recommend it. <laughs> Check it out if it's still in a theater. I think it, it's a good one to see on a big screen. Yeah. Um, other than that, please try to find it on streaming hopefully it'll be out soon but yeah i think that wraps it up for us all right well we will be back uh soon with another uh western podcast classic uh spaghetti western What's it who knows be? what i don't know mm-hmm. i don't know we'll have to wait and see okay <laughs> so that wraps up another episode of film frontier so long from me felicity him clarence and the spirit of glenn ford happy trails <laughs>